Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Historic Pinstripes. Again, my name is Brian and I have been a diehard Yankees fan since I was about 7 years old. The goal of the Historic Pinstripes is, as always, to preserve the rich history and tradition of the New York Yankees by discussing the greatest Yankees players and moments in Yankees history. So thank you again for joining us, everyone. The topic today is on the Yankees architects throughout the franchise history of the New York Yankees. Um, and basically, I've been reading a book called The Franchise by Mark Feinstein, um, basically on the architects of the Yankees. And it starts really kind of with Colonel Jacob Rupert going on through uh, the current owner, Hal Steinbrenner. Um, so now let's get right back right into this topic um, the first two guys I want to talk about are not really covered in the book. Um, Bill Devery and Frank Farrell, who were the owners of, um, they, they were the owners that brought the Baltimore Orioles in 1903 to New York. Because um, the Baltimore Orioles became the Yankees in 1903 when Frank Farrell and Bill Devery bought them for a, a, approximately $18,000. I don't know if that's a accurate figure. It may not be. Because um, I don't think I could find one. Um, but that was the closest one I could find. So it was probably somewhere around there, I guess. Uh, Frank Farrell, um, he had owned a bunch of pool halls before that. And he actually even owned a casino. He was born in 1866. Bill Devery was born in 1854. He was a former police chief, actually. The Actually, he was the last police chief um, that was a part of the New York Police Department the NYPD. Um, he was the a police chief for one year, 1901 to 1902, I guess. And actually, before he was police chief, he had even been fired for corruption, but he ended up appealing it, and it was overturned by a state court of appeals. And um, then he eventually became chief. Um, but um, after 1902, or at, in 1902, he was fired by the mayor of New York City, um, and the they ended up reorganizing the um, department, and the top job became commissioner, I guess. So, anyways, when they bought the team, they moved them to New York, and they became the New York Highlanders. And so, of course, um, I, I mean, I, I can understand why the book wouldn't include these two guys, because, you know, they really weren't the Yankees until 1913 when Colonel Rupert uh, took over. Um, so they became the New York Highlanders, and they had um, in their time as the owners, the Yankees had only had two second place finishes. Um, I believe their I believe their best year was 1908, um, and their best pitcher um, was Jack Chesbrough, Happy Jack, and he had 41 wins, which I believe is still a record today, and probably will be for probably forever. Um, or at least for an extremely long time, like if they'd have to like, I think they'd really have to like, things would have to really, really, really change in order for that record to be ever broken. Um, just because I think it's just, it's just not possible. Like um, there's, there's only a certain amount of starts and um, nowadays the typical starting pitcher will make like 32 to 34 starts a year. And that's if they don't miss any time at all in the season so usually it's about 34 starts a year so they won't even get that uh, the opportunity to win 41 games I mean unless that I guess they maybe use them as a relief pitcher and a starting pitcher but um, anyways re regardless though um, so those are the first two owners in Yankees history they really didn't do a whole lot um, 
They did change their name. I think it was around 19... It was a little bit before Colonel Jacob Rupert. Well, actually, I don't think the name was changed. Yeah, the name wasn't officially changed until Colonel Jacob Rupert took over. And that was in January of 1915 when Frank Farrell and Bill Devery sold the team to Colonel Jacob Rupert and a partner of his, um, LT Houston. Um, and I believe uh, uh, it's uh, he, he kind of has a, a long first name, so I won't try to pronounce it. Um, but anyways, Colonel Jacob Rupert was the primary owner, and he, before that, was a United States congressman, and he was also colonel in the National Guard. That's why I call him Colonel Jacob Rupert, um, which is, uh, in most uh, books, including the book, the franchise, they typically um, call him Colonel Jacob, or Colonel Rupert, or a lot of, like, I guess, um, I think George Steinbrenner even referred to him a lot as Colonel Jacob Rupert, because... Um, I know George Steinbrenner was a big, uh, a, a big fan of like the military, um, and you can even tell just the way that he ran the franchise. But anyways, getting back to uh, Colonel Rupert, and uh, well, first Frank Farrell and Bill Devery, they um, that when they had the team that the Yankees, they were not a very good team, like I said, and the stadium that they had, the Hilltop Park, basically it was falling apart. It was a wooden ballpark. Um, the fences were wooden and and stuff like that, and and they they it just the the stadium it just it just didn't make it. So they ended up having to share the polo grounds with the New York Giants, and um, that wasn't really a great environment. The, the Yankees are, are having to pay a lot um, because the Giants were were basically having their way, and they they were like the team in New York. Um, so Colonel Jacob Rupert he really wanted to make a, make the Yankees a winner, and he didn't like the Yankees having to share. The polo grounds with the New York Giants, um, but the New York Giants really didn't want to share the city with the Yankees because they were used to having the city to themselves. Um, I, I mean, I think they did have the Brooklyn Dodgers or the Brooklyn Robins at the time, but um, they were like the team. So um, they, uh, Colonel Jacob Rupert and Houston, bought the team for four hundred fifty thousand dollars in nineteen fifteen. Um, they also brought in Wade Hoyt, who was a pitcher from the Red Sox, Carl Mays, who was another pitcher from the Red Sox, and Ed Barrow, who was the manager of the Red Sox, came in as the business manager uh, and secretary, who which essentially was uh, general manager position back then. And, of course, that was in addition to Babe Ruth, who uh, was sold to the Yankees uh, before the 1920 season for $100,000, um, of course, you know, for the play. No, 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 net um, uh, for Harry Frizee, the Red Sox owner. Um, but uh, moving on, Jacob Rupert, um, he had planned, uh, he had a plan with uh, Houston, um, his his co-owner, to uh, he had he had sent in a plan to the Giants owner at the time uh, to to get a new stadium for the Yankees, and I guess at the time they they wanted to. Uh, they wanted to kind of like share, still share the stadium with the Giants, or, or come to some kind of an agreement on on how they could build the park. And the Giants owner just flat out declined it. And Houston and Rupert they came up with their own plan eventually, and they made their own stadium. And that stadium deal was made in 1921. So Colonel Jacob Rupert was not too happy, of course, obviously as you can imagine, with. Uh, you know the Giants owner and he even said in the media that the Yan Yankee Stadium was the Giants mistake 
I mean, that right there just shows you how much of a rivalry it must have been back then between the Giants and the Yankees because, the you know, the New York Giants, they they were used to being like the toast of the town. They were the Yankees, basically. <laughs> they were the Yankees of today, rather. So, anyways, May of 1922, um, Yankee Stadium was already being built. Houston sold his share of uh, his ownership um, agreement. Um, and uh, I guess I think some of that might have had to do with Miller Huggins in uh, uh, Houston. Miller Huggins, of course, was the manager of the New York Yankees, the on-field manager. And uh, I guess uh, Houston had had some run-ins with uh, Miller Huggins. And the, they, I guess they just didn't get along. I don't know if that, I don't, I think they say that that was, might not have been the whole reason why Houston sold his share. I think there's more to it. And I, I think, I think a lot of it they say might have been that Houston just wasn't, he wasn't as interested in being an owner of a baseball team. Um, at least not like uh, Colonel Jacob Rupert or George Steinbrenner anyway. Um, so, after that, uh, I guess Ed Barrow really started becoming more and more invested with the uh, Yankees, and um, I think Colonel Jacob Rupert really, like, he really entrusted him, um, like, the keys to the Yankees. Like, he really, like, he knew that Ed Barrow was a really good baseball mind. He was kind of like, um, kind of like a, a Gene Michael in the '90s, if you remember him. He was a general manager for the Yankees. Of uh, when of when they signed all the when they signed and uh, drafted like Derek Jeter, Andy Pettit, and built the core four or uh, Fab Five or whatever you will. Um, you know Ed Barrow had a he, he was really he knew a lot about baseball. He knew what players would would really help the Yankees and what players wouldn't. Ed Barrow was there for a very long time for the Yankees until like 1939 when he retired, and the Yankees actually named him president. And George Weiss became the, the general manager. George Weiss was also another guy who was kind of being groomed by Ed Barrow, I think like around the late 20s, the late 1920s. And he, he started as a farm director, the minor league director of the New York Yankees. And I guess he was a big part of um, kind of developing the minor leagues too, as, as well as I've read in other, uh, I've just researched before. But anyways, I guess George George Weiss was actually a big uh, big part of the development of the minor league system in baseball. Um, so moving on, Colonel Jacob Rupert, he had passed away, I believe it was around this time, around the 1940s, early 1940s or so. Um, and then uh, Larry McPhail, Dan Topping, and Del Webb end up uh, buying the team. And they actually forced Ed Barrow out. And George Weiss becomes the new general manager. And after the Yankees' first World Series win under Larry McPhail, Dan Topping, and Del Webb, um, Larry McPhail, who was, uh, he was the most active owner, I believe, out of that group. But, um, and he was kind of like a, like he really wanted to win. Um, but he had an issue with alcohol. And even though the Yankees won, they won the World Series in 1947. Um, and Larry McPhail had, I guess he had had a drunken, basically a drunken meltdown. And he was at a team's victory dinner and he really caused a, a big scene. He yelled and he, even, he fired uh, George Weiss, who was the general manager. And also George Weiss at the time, he was very much like Ed Barrow because Ed Barrow had 
really brought him along. And George Weiss was a very, very, very well-respected uh, baseball mind at the time, just like Ed Barrow was. And um, the Yankees had won the World Series, and he fires George Weiss. So the day after, uh, Del Webb and Dan Topping, the other two owners who were not as active, they... Um, they actually bought out Larry McPhail's share of the ownership and they brought George Weiss back as general manager. Um, but eventually, I believe Del Webb and Dan Topping, they ended up selling their ownership to, I think, I think they sold it to CBS. And CBS, I think CBS owned it for a long time. I believe it was Michael Burke that was the guy that was like their primary owner. But they didn't really do a whole lot, but they didn't really have to either because the Yankees at the time, they had George Weiss who was really, I mean, and there wasn't free agency either, so there, there wasn't that as well. Um, um, and, and really until uh, George Steinbrenner came along and um, that's really the next guy, uh, the next really major um, part of the Yankees architects, the, the, the next guy that really helped build the Yankees to a contender again was George Steinbrenner. Um, because after 1962, I believe, the Yankees don't win another World Series until Steinbrenner had the team. And Steinbrenner bought them in 1973. The book goes into a lot more depth than I'm going through right now, but I'm just right now kind of going through the entire history and and the arch, like the architects of the Yankees throughout their history. And Steinbrenner... Um, when he came in, he really wanted to make a, a a big splash. I guess he, I think, from what I've heard, that he was he really, he really looked up to uh, Colonel Jacob Rupert. I think he was a big proponent of wanting Colonel Jacob Rupert to be in the Hall of Fame, which it took a an, a very 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 long time. Actually, Colonel Jacob Rupert went in the Hall of Fame. Really, I think it was like 2012 or 2013. So it was well after, well after he passed away, and it was even after George Steinbrenner passed away as well. Um, but not to get too far off topic, getting back to George Steinbrenner, his, um, you know, his philosophy, he would, he was a very, he had a military background. He, um, he liked that style, um, that Colonel Jacob Rupert had. So they, they kind of, he kind of brought that back, but you know, free agency was also starting at the time. Steinbrenner was not shy about spending money as long as it helped the Yankees win that's all he really wanted to do with the Yankees. He he, and um, and you can say what you want about Steinbrenner, but he like he just did whatever it took to help the Yankees win. He even hired a guy named Gabe Paul. He would I guess surround himself with try to surround himself with really good baseball minded people who knew a lot about the game, um, not necessarily just players, but just guys who just you know scouts, um, coaches maybe former players, maybe not, that people that, that just knew the game and could and weren't afraid to share with him. And uh, and obviously, of course, with George being George, that also that also was not easy because George Steinbrenner, if, if, if the team wasn't playing well, you were going to hear about it and you'd probably get fired if the, if you weren't doing, if he didn't think you were doing a good enough job. Uh, so, like, after 77 and 78... Of course, you know, Billy Martin was even getting fired when the Yankees, in the middle of 77, 78, and 70, 78, of course, uh, Billy had his own issues. Um, but after that, George had gone through a number of different managers and general managers. 
including one guy named Gene Michael, um, who was an infielder for the Yankees back in the 50s. He wasn't a big hitter, um, wasn't known for his offense. He was just a really good defensive shortstop, um, but he knew a lot about the game. And uh, I guess teams really, they really, um, I think he had already been a manager at that time um, in his career. He even was a Yankees manager for like a few months, maybe. I don't even know if it was a few months in the in the 80s. And uh, he eventually became a general manager by the late 80s. And this was at the time when George Steinbrenner was going through a lot of issues with Dave Winfield because, you know, George Steinbrenner was kind of, he wasn't really, Steinbrenner was, he was kind of going too far with uh, the Dave Winfield situation because, you know, he really wanted to win, but the Yankees weren't doing well. Uh, it wasn't all Dave Winfield's fault either because Dave Winfield was playing well. It was just the team just wasn't gelling. And um, and St and uh, Steinbrenner, uh, he really wanted out of Winfield's contract so bad that he, I guess he ended up doing some things that weren't really legal or they weren't right. And um, so he ended up getting suspended and, but before he did, he made sure that he hired Gene Michael because he knew, he always trusted Gene Michael. He knew Gene Michael knew, knew the game a lot. So Gene Michael was the GM at the time when George Steinbrenner left. And because he left him in charge, Gene Michael basically had nobody to, he had nobody to uh, answer to because there was really, the, the, um, there was really no other ownership. It was just the, the rest of the, I guess the rest of the Steinbrenner family. And um, Jim Michael probably felt a lot more at ease. He felt like he could just he could just build the team the way he wanted. Um, so this is the time where the Yankees kind of rebuilt that nucleus of the late '90s dynasty with their Jeter, Bernie Williams, and Andy Pettit, and the the core four. You know, Posada, Mariano Rivera, all those guys, and even guys like Jim Leyritz. Jim Leyritz finally got, he got a chance to to play in the major leagues where that wouldn't have happened had George Steinbrenner been there because in the 80s Steinbrenner he did not really give young players a chance and because Gene Michael was there Gene Michael he liked giving the young players a chance he he if he saw a talent a talented player in the minor leagues he wanted to bring that guy up rather than getting somebody from another team and spending a bunch of money and and stuff like that, like like he knew how to build, and Gene Michael was a really big part of rebuilding that Yankees dynasty to what it was before, um, and even uh, going back to Gene Michael's era, and uh, it kind of overlaps with Brian Cashman as well, because Brian Cashman, um, he learned, he actually was an intern back in like, I guess 1986, and he kind of worked his way up, and Gene Michael, and the book goes into way more detail, but uh, Gene Michael uh, really, like Cashman really learned a lot from just watching Gene Michael, the book goes and says. And I guess even um, Hal Steinbrenner was, I guess he, even though um, he wasn't the owner at the time, he did work in the, in the early 90s, and I guess he also um, worked a lot with Cashman and, of course, Gene, Gene Michael as well. Um, but then even when George Steinbrenner came back around like 1993 or so, 93, 94, and the Yankees started spending money. They, they got guys like Wade Boggs, Charlie Hayes, and they made, uh, some trades. Um, like Gene Michael made a trade as far like before Steinbrenner 
came back, uh, Paul O'Neill for Roberto Kelly. Roberto Kelly at the time was an all-star. Uh, Paul O'Neill wasn't really, um, it was kind of a gamble for Gene Michael. He wouldn't have probably been able to do that if George Steinbrenner was there. Um, but So when Steinbrenner comes back, he starts signing uh, some veteran free agents like a Wade Boggs again and uh, David Cohn, Jimmy Key, guys like that. But the, but the Yankees already kind of had their nucleus and Gene Michael found a way to, like there was still, Bernie Williams was still on the team and Bernie Williams in 93 was still kind of getting his footing. Um, it took a while for him to get going and um, George was kind of getting a little frustrated with him. He wanted to trade him, but uh, Gene Michael was kind of, you know, would just try to talk him out of it and 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 he was successful in that. Um, had it not been for Gene Michael, maybe the Yankees don't, uh, aren't able to keep a lot of their their uh, their players that they had. And you know, Gene Michael. So Gene Michael was a huge part of building the Yankees back to where they. To, to where they are even today, if you will. Um, and Brian Cashman, even though Cashman has had, like, he Cashman was inherited a great, great team in 1998 when he became the general manager. But before him was Bob Watson. Um, so actually, I want to go back a little bit. Gene Michael, actually, the, the, he, the, the reason why Steinbrenner let him go was because, of course, in 1995, uh, American League Division Series, um, the Yankees finally made it to the playoffs, you know, so uh, they had avoided um, George Steinbrenner kind of blowing up the team, and, uh, the, you know, the Yankees finally made, finally made it to the playoffs, and they lost in five games to the Mariners, and, and uh, um, so, I mean, that, that was really, and Gene Michael, he knew that, that if they lost, he was basically out of the job. I mean, I think they everyone kind of knew that. Um, but George Steinbrenner had so much respect for Gene Michael that he didn't, he, like, he fired him, he got, he got rid of him as the general manager, but he kept him as a, I think it was senior advisor. So Gene Michael became a senior advisor, and they ended up hiring Bob Watson as the general manager, and Watson would just come in, and the Yankees already had a nucleus, so he just kind of brought in guys that would, that he felt would really help. Um, like Tino Martinez, because Don Mattingly had retired, or he hadn't really officially retired, but he he kind of knew he was going to retire, and uh, he did eventually retire the next year, and he just didn't really uh, just didn't really announce it yet. Um, and they, they they went out and got a first baseman for the Mariners, Tino Martinez. They got, made some other moves. They ended, I think in that same trade for Tino, they got Jeff Nelson, who was a good reliever, um, and they got a. Uh, I, I believe um, I believe they ended up getting Daryl Strawberry that year. Um, they got they got quite a few different guys that really helped the Yankees, um, including Cecil Fielder. I believe he came in midseason via trade. Um, so uh, Bob Watson was the general manager, and I at the time at the same time Brian Cashman was the assistant general manager. And I guess I, I didn't realize this, but the book goes into a lot of detail about how Brian Cashman did not want to be the general manager. He was like, he saw, like he was there in the 80s when George Steinbrenner, he was an intern and he was just kind of working his way up. But he, he was an intern for a while and then he did, I think it was he was farm director, but he never wanted to be a general manager because he had seen that 
you know, George Steinbrenner was he he would he would blow up at the general manager all the time, and obviously George he didn't really like he he would blow up because he didn't want the Yankees to lose and he was he was not a good loser and he I think he's even he's even admitted that I think there's a line that says uh, uh, show me a, a a good winner and I'll show you a good loser or something like that I think that's a, that's a direct quote from Steinbrenner or it's, it's something like that anyway but um uh anyways um. You know, so Brian Cashman, he did not want to be the general manager, and um, but Bob Watson, I guess, ended up. He didn't. He knew he wasn't going to be with uh, the Yankee general manager for a long time, so he was already teaching. He was giving Brian Cashman a lot of um, a lot of stuff to do, and and Brian by the time. Uh, by the time he retires, or just kind of, I guess he ended up resigning after the 97 season when the Yankees missed the playoffs again, he resigned, and uh, Brian Cashman ends up becoming the general manager, and I guess uh, he was he was kind of surprised, and at the time too, when Steinbrenner asked him to be the general manager, um, and he asked him about the contract, um, Cashman even said that he, this is according to the book The Franchise by Mark Feinsand, and he, he really didn't want to sign a long-term contract at all. So he, so he only signed one-year contracts. And I, I don't know when it was that he, I forget when it was that the book says, but I forget, you have to read the book, The Franchise by Mark Feinsand to, to find out um, when it was that, that he finally signed a long-term contract. Um, unless you remember, maybe, but um, but uh, you know, so Cashman um, was very hesitant about that, and and um, so eventually, um, as time went on, um, Cashman did find out how uh, you know, you know uh, I, I mean, he found out that it wasn't as bad that that because Steinbrenner kind of gave him some leeway too because the Yankees were winning, they were doing really well, so. And, uh, you know, Cashman had made some big moves. Like, 1998, um, the Yankees had had a historically great year, probably one of the greatest seasons of all time. They won 125 games plus the 11 games of the postseason. So they they won 114 games in the regular season and 125, um, uh, you know, altogether. And uh, then the next year, David Wells had had a great year in 1998. It was probably his best year of his career. Then 1999, everyone in New York they loved they loved David Wells. But 1999, in the spring in the spring spring training, they uh, Cashman traded uh, David Wells, Homer Bush, and I think one other person who I can't think of right now um, to the Toronto Blue Jays for Roger Clemens. Um, and I think the Yankees might have gotten one other person, but I, I'm not I'm not 100 sure. But it was basically Clemens for for David Wells. And Homer Bush, I know he ended up going to the Blue Jays as well, I believe. And um, uh, but uh, it was basically Wells for Clemens. And Wells, David Wells, was not happy about that trade at all because obviously David Wells was a he. I think a lot of Yankee fans, every most Yankee fans know that David Wells. He he loved New York. He was a Yankee fan growing up. Um, um, at least I think he was anyway. And I know he was a big big fan of Babe Ruth. Obviously, he wore the 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 hat, the Babe Ruth hat, um, that he had found, I guess, um, in a game. Even though Joe Torre didn't want him to do that, but 
you know that was the, that was one of the risks that that a general manager has to take sometimes. And at the time, even though you know Clemens had been on steroids or or supposedly, I guess, even though uh, you know he he kind of that he never really has been admitted. He's he's never really they 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 never found him out to be. Uh, I mean, I guess they did, but you know he they found him not to be guilty anyway, basically. So. Anyways, regardless though, Clemens was a great pitcher, and uh, Cashman didn't know any of that, so he, he he wanted to make the Yankees better, and he did at the time. He really did because the Yankees won two more World Series after that with with Clemens. Um, even though it would have been great to have David Wells, but you know the Yankee way is they want to keep winning, and he kept George Steinbrenner away from him because, anyways, Cashman saw how all the other general managers would get treated by George Steinbrenner if they didn't do well, and that's why he really wasn't crazy about being the general manager, so he was a little bit uneasy about that. But then, um, finally, when the Yankees lost the World Series in 2001, I guess Steinbrenner was like, that's it, we're going to do it my way now. And and then that's where things kind of slipped a little bit with, with Cashman and George's uh, uh, relationship. But um, I guess... You know, I, I I guess from what the book talks about, it sounds like that George Steinbrenner really respected that Brian Cashman wasn't afraid to tell him things. Like he he wasn't afraid to to speak to him, and and he did respect uh, uh, Brian Cashman. So then I guess eventually, of course, uh, uh, I think it was around two thousand and five or so, or two thousand six. Um, Steinbrenner's health started declining. Uh, um, well, I think it was more. No, I think it was more around 2008. Steinbrenner's health started declining, um, and uh, after 2007, um, when they got rid of Joe Torre, um, that's really when the um, that's really when the own the uh, like Hank and Hal Steinbrenner both took over. I think that Hank and Hal Steinbrenner um, that they, they really kind of had a little bit of a... Because they were handed the team, too, so it was a little bit different for them. Um, and and I think that, uh, obviously, of course, it's going to be different for George Steinbrenner than it is uh, for Hank and Hal Steinbrenner. Hank, though, I think was a little bit more like George Steinbrenner, where he had that more of a fiery kind of way. Um, Hal seems to be a little bit more deliberate. But I didn't realize, though, that the book gets into how, like, Hal Steinbrenner actually worked with Brian Cashman back in the early '90s, he remembers working with Brian Cashman and Gene Michael, and he had—I guess he had other—he had other like he had jobs in the in the in the Yankee organization. But at the time when they first started Hank and Hal, it was Hank was the guy that was pretty much the the primary guy, um, not Hal. But, anyways, that's pretty much those are that that's kind of what the the Yankee the the architects of the Yankees. Throughout the years, that's kind of how it's kind of evolved too. Now we have Hal Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman still. So, anyways, uh, Brian Cashman he he he's basically been the general manager for a really long time, and it, it is interesting that he's been a, man a general manager for so so long. But of course, the Yankees have had long tenured general managers, like Ed Barrow was general manager, I believe, for like twenty five years or so. George Weiss was a general manager for for many years as well, probably just as 
maybe 20 years or I don't know how long it was, but it's, it's, it was a long time. It's almost as long as, as uh, Brian Cashman. I believe he's the longest tenured now. Um, um, so uh, it's, it, it's, it'll be interesting to see how long Brian Cashman does want to go. And, you know, Cashman has made some interesting, like he, like it's always fun to critique the general manager's moves because um, the, you know that the, there's so many different opinions you can have. Um, I, I I don't always agree with Brian Cashman's moves, but I, I I try to see both sides because there's always different perspectives to look at. Um, but I I think that at the end of the day, I think um, as if the Yankees could just they they just want to try to find a way to win, and you know someday the Yankees will have another general manager, but. Um, I think for the most part, Brian Cashman has done a good job, and he's been a good general manager for the New York Yankees. Um, I don't think that's the popular opinion at the time, but I think if you ask most Yankee fans, they will respect what Brian Cashman has done through his entire uh, career as a general manager, dating back to like 1998 or even before as an assistant general manager. But it, it's kind of hard to really say who really had the biggest impact. If you if if you asked me who had the biggest impact in Yankee history, I mean, I I guess you would have to go with Ed Barrow really because he's the guy that really built that empire, that first Yankee empire like as far as like um bringing in guys like Babe Ruth, Carl Mays and even, you know, with guys like uh, uh signing Lou Gehrig, a young Lou Gehrig and and bringing in guys like that, and and Joe DiMaggio, and a lot of those guys too. Like Joe DiMaggio, he was probably in the minor league. So I, I'm, I'm George Weiss is another another one. Like um, and Gene Michael too. You can't discount him. I think everyone kind of plays a big role in has and has played a big role in building the Yankees to where they have where they are today. So, anyways, that's my opinion. I just feel like it's it's uh, it was an interesting topic. Um, it's it's a good book too. You should check out the franchise by Mark Feinsand. Um, that I believe you can find the book anywhere. You can probably find it on Amazon. Um, but anyways, I uh, I just found it to be an interesting topic. You can feel free to email me at historicpinstripes at gmail com and let me know what your opinions are of you know who maybe the greatest general manager in your opinion is. But before I let you go, I just want to let you know that the Historic Pinstripes is a proud member of. 4041 Media, with other podcasts such as Free Your Geek, Psych Your Crime, Movie Theater, Time Machine, and a bunch of other podcasts and streamers. Um, you can feel free to go to www.4041media.com for more information. Once again, thank you everybody for listening. I appreciate it very, very much. There's going to be a lot more content out soon. And as always, everybody, thank you for listening. And go Yankees! <laughs>